Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Kudyanta, more than the dorm in which I lived my freshman year, the Hillel that shaped my Jewish identity, or even the Pinball Pete's Arcade where I spent many hours and lots and lots of quarters. When I dropped my daughter off last month at my alma mater, the University of Michigan, there was one place that I knew I was gonna make sure I took her, and that place would be the steps of the Michigan Union. Because it was on those steps in the early hours of October 15th, 14th, 1960, 60 years ago next month, that Senator John F. Kennedy arrived in Ann Arbor to spend the night having debated the Republican nominee Richard Nixon earlier that evening. Kennedy intended to catch a few hours of sleep at the Michigan Union before a one-day whistle-stop train tour across the state. Despite it being 2 a.m., some 10,000 students stood assembled waiting for him. Kennedy had not planned to speak, but in his extemporaneous remarks, he issued a challenge to those assembled that evening that would be remembered and would ripple forward for a long, long time to come. He said, how many of you are going to be doctors, are willing to spend your days in Ghana? Technicians or engineers, how many of you are willing to work in the Foreign Service and spend your lives traveling around the world? On your willingness to do that, not merely to serve one year or two years in the service, but on your willingness to contribute part of your life to this country, I think will depend the answer whether a free society can compete. So I come here tonight to go to bed, but I also come here tonight to ask you to join in the effort. The reaction to Kennedy's speech was swift and enthusiastic. In the days that followed, 700 students had signed up for a non-existent international humanitarian program. By March of 1961, the now President Kennedy signed an executive order formally establishing the program we now know as the Peace Corps, some quarter of a million participants and growing yet still. Historians have spilled much ink debating the motivation behind Kennedy's Peace Corps. While some note the real politic Cold War context of the program, most acknowledge that the initiative provided a vehicle for America's pioneering spirit during a turbulent period. In the words of historian Dr. Elizabeth Cobbs Hoffman, a symbol of, quote, what America wanted to be and what much of the world wanted America to be, a counterpoint of idealism to America's affluence and influence. At the very least, one can trace the rhetorical line from the spirit of Kennedy's words that night on the steps of the Michigan Union to his words spoken on the steps of our nation's capital at his inauguration just a few months later. 
Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Whether Kennedy actually wrote those words, I've been told that when asked, his speechwriter Ted Sorensen replied wryly, ask not, is besides the point. The speech exemplifies the heroic spirit of the age, heroism as defined by Joseph Campbell as someone who has given his life to something bigger than himself or other than himself. Now, I never served in the Peace Corps, and though a proud graduate of the University of Michigan, that historic 1960 night preceded both my arrival on campus and in this world. I think, I think I took my daughter to those steps, not just because I wanted her to touch a place where history was made, but as she sets out on her path in life, I wanted her to touch a place where an ideal was given voice, the seemingly simple but presently elusive idea that life is not just about what you get, but it's about what you give. It's not just about rights granted, but it's about responsibilities discharged. It's not just about freedoms taken, but it's about sacrifice made. Ask not, asked Kennedy of his generation, what is in it for me? Ask rather, what is my role in it? What is my responsibility and what is my contribution towards the betterment of the world in which I live? Today, today is Yom Kippur. Today is a day set aside for an audit of the soul to acknowledge our wrongdoings and to seek and grant forgiveness. Today is a day that reminds us of the fragility of life an opportunity to stare in the face of our own mortality and reflect on the degree to which we're leveraging the short span of our lives wisely. But at its core, Yom Kippur is a day to touch an ideal, an ideal which in its fulfillment signals a triumph of the human spirit and in its breach proclaims the sting of human failure. Simple in formulation, but difficult in implementation, Yom Kippur reminds us that we all exist in relation to others and therefore what we do matters. By way of our actions, we have the potential to transcend the limits of our own self-interest and positively impact the world in which we live. Conversely, by way of our actions or inactions, we have the power to do harm to the world and the people in it. Long before the moral philosopher John Stuart Mill wrote that no person is an entirely isolated being, our Jewish texts and traditions, they argued the same. Yes, Genesis chapter one introduces humanity in the grandest terms created in the image of God to fill the earth and master it. But not a chapter passes before that human being is placed in Eden in a caretaking role to till and tend the garden. In other words, to be responsible for it. What about our obligations to our fellow? Am I my brother's keeper, Cain asks of God, with the blood of Abel still flowing? All of Jewish ethics, a teacher of mine once said, is really just an extended response to Cain. We are our brothers and sisters and neighbors keeper. We dare not stand idly by. 
And what of our obligations to our community? Here, too, our tradition is clear. Both Noah and Abraham, they were both born into wicked generations, but as Jews, we lay claim to the patrimony of the latter, not the former, because when Abraham heard of the imminent destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he entered into debate with God. When Noah heard similar, he entered into his ark. Do not separate yourself from the community teaches the ethics of our fathers. Our humanity does not exist in a vacuum. Our deeds impact those around us, and each one of us bears the potential to move the needle of the human condition and the world in which we live. We need look no further than the prayers of these next 24 hours to take note of the aspirations of the day. Earlier, we began the evening with an acknowledgement that our prayers are to be recited in the midst of a community of imperfect souls. The biblical Yom Kippur ritual as described in tomorrow's Torah reading, or the service of the high priest as described in the Avoda service of tomorrow afternoon, are all performed in a communal setting. We announce our transgressions not in the first person singular, but in the first person plural, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. What a strange thing it is to confess our private sins in person or virtually in the company of a congregation. Until, of course, you realize that we do so in order to remind ourselves that our actions, they're never just about us. Our mistakes, our miscues and misdeeds have consequences on others. We have hurt others, diminished others, and inflicted pain on others no different than others have done so to us. As a poet John Donne wrote, no man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Yom Kippur, it's our reminder that we are all part of the main. What we do, for better or for worse, by way of sins or of commission or omission, matters. Sixty years after Kennedy's charge to our nation, the civic idealism of yesteryear seems so very distant. We've awoken to its dystopian inverse, a generation led by the assertion that putting oneself first is somehow a moral virtue to be celebrated. Indeed, if I had to put my finger on the thread that binds our era's shortcomings together, it's that ours is a generation akin to the second child of the Passover Seder table in that we believe that our personal interests exist independently of the collective narrative. No one owes anything to anyone. As Wade Davis recently wrote, a world that has lionized the individual at the expense of the community, a world where concern for the other is viewed as some sort of extravagance, a world where the failure to put your own interests first is interpreted as a sign of weakness, a world where citizens who are willing to make a sacrifice even the ultimate sacrifice, are dismissed as suckers. We have failed in so many ways to take seriously our role in shaping the world in which we live. We declare our hands clean. We point fingers. We pass the blame. We point to the magnitude of the problem to justify our inaction, or we pass the buck to the other guy or the next generation. Like the prophet of the day, Jonah, when we see something instead of saying something or, God forbid, doing something, we run the other way. 
We dismiss ideas that don't conform to our own, smug in the security of our own ideological certitude rather than struggling with the uncomfortable. We cancel that which makes us squirm instead of engaging in difficult conversations that could change people's minds and the world. We reject a worthy cause in its entirety because we find an aspect of it objectionable, as if any of the causes or organizations we ourselves support would ever pass such a stringent purity test. You know, I'm reminded of my good friend Sadie Goldstein, who goes to the butcher to buy her chicken on Shabbos, and she's not satisfied with looking at the chicken from across the counter, so she asks the butcher to hand her the bird. She lifts up a wing and sniffs it suspiciously, then the other one, then one leg at a time, a schmeck here, a schmeck there. No part of the chicken is left unexamined. On and on she goes until the butcher blurts out, Mrs. Goldstein, do you think you could pass such a test? Moral escapism comes in a variety of forms, and sniffing our noses is but one tactic of turning inward, turning away, and abdicating personal agency. We see an environmental crisis and we shrug our shoulders, wondering what we can do. We see a racial problem and we console ourselves with the thought that at least we are not those kind of racists. We see economic inequity and we dive back under the safety blanket of our lives. The book of Deuteronomy warned against the person who fancied himself immune, thinking, I shall be safe as I follow my own heart. You may recall the famous exchange between Henry David Thoreau and his dear friend Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson visited Thoreau as he sat in jail for his refusal to pay taxes which would support a government policies that he objected to. Emerson asked Thoreau, Henry, what are you doing in there? To which Thoreau replied, Waldo, the question is what are you doing out there? That's the question of Yom Kippur. What are you doing out there? It is simply not enough in this day and age to care. You have to do. You have to make that problem your problem. To be a citizen of a family, a faith community, a nation or world, it's always a balancing act. A balancing act between individual rights and civic responsibilities. The very word civic, it comes from the Latin corona civica, the garland that would be given in ancient Rome to a person who saved a fellow citizen's life. For civil society to be upheld, we must consent to that society making a claim on us and that private desire yields to public good. It's a Jewish value and it's an American value. It's actually what the word republic means, a form of government in which the good of the country is a public, not private matter. It's also not rocket science. If you want to drive a car, then you have to wear a seatbelt. If you want to have free speech, then you can't falsely cry fire in a crowded theater. If you want the right to own a gun, then it is a right that must be balanced with public safety. And if you want to have an earth that we, our children and grandchildren, can live in, 
then you have to live in a manner that reflects that desire. John Stuart Mill put it best when he wrote, everyone who receives a protection of society owes a return for the benefit, and the fact of living in society renders it indispensable that each should be bound to observe a certain line of conduct towards the rest. If there was ever a time to make a political virtue of not amplifying our own personal freedoms over the safety of others, ours is that time. What a shanda, what an embarrassment that our country, once led by an ask-not, has been reduced to a mask-not. Wearing a mask or social distancing reflects not just my fear that a virus will spread from you to me, but my fear for your well-being, that you yourself are the object of my concern. Wearing a mask or social distancing are not such earth-shattering acts of leadership. They are basic gestures of citizenship and acceptance that my actions matter and that I have a role to play in the health crisis of our time. Civil society withers not merely by the way of the rise of authoritarian leadership. It withers and it dies when those laying claim to the title of citizen forget, neglect, or cease to protect the obligations like voting that come with being a member of civil society. Don't worry. I'm not going to announce the formation of a Jewish Peace Corps. I did think about it, but then I realized that calling for, as I did last week, a reconstruction of American Jewish life was enough for one holiday season. But that said, Yom Kippur is a call to action, and I want to call you to action in three very specific ways, by way of the three concentric circles of our existence, our wider community, our Jewish community, and ourselves. First, the wider community. It's with great pride that I share that through the hard work of Rabbis Witkowski and Philp, Mara Bernstein, and our lay leaders, Amy Steiner, Susan Newmark, and Samantha Tannenbaum, these past months have brought forth a revitalized vision for tikkun olam, social justice programming. Park Avenue Synagogue has a long tradition of putting our values into action by way of our food pantry, mitzvah day, and otherwise. This year and in the years ahead, through the blueprint of Naseh Nishma, Hebrew, for we will act and we will learn, we're putting service and education at the forefront of our synagogue agenda, be it the challenge of climate change, poverty and hunger, voting rights, racial inequality, or LGBTQ and gender equity, all of us have a role to play, and justice work will be part of our communal expectation. The Tikkun Olam Committee has assembled an array of opportunities to learn, to donate, to volunteer, all paths for you to actualize your Ask Not. Check out the website, and if there's a cause dear to your heart that you would like on the synagogue agenda, then come to the meeting and get involved. By this point in the holidays, you hopefully realize that every service has been framed by way of one of the five note cards 
we sent home to membership in your holiday care package. Tonight is card number four, Kehila, a time to renew your commitment to strengthening this community and this world. So like the good televangelist I've become, I'm asking you for your commitment today. I'm calling out cards. Fill out the card. Send it in to me. Tell me the issue that you want our community to work on and make a commitment this year to get involved to mend this broken world of ours. Second, the Jewish community, specifically our own synagogue. I'm pleased to share that by way of the hard work of our clergy, lay leaders, and professionals, a community covenant has been drafted, a copy of which exists on the membership page of our website on the home page, a document enumerating a series of commitments regarding what it means to be part of the Park Avenue Synagogue family, a commitment that all our members treat each other and our clergy and staff with respect, an affirmation of our entire membership in every variety of family structure, in all our ethnic, sexual, and gender diversity, a zero-tolerance policy for any form of harassment, and an expectation that every member will communicate respectfully to each other and members of our clergy and staff in person and online. For all of our talk of communal boundaries, we must never forget the most important one, that of our own personhood. Each one of us has a right to feel safe and respected. The covenant's on the website and will arrive in your member inbox so you can click and sign signaling your assent to being a stakeholder in our Kehila Kedosha, our sacred community. What better way to begin the new year than by making a commitment to being a culture carrier of our communal values. Third and finally, ourselves. Here, I have no program to lean on and no document to share. It's just us. It is the primary activity that we are asked to perform on Yom Kippur, the act of tshuva, of repentance. If the point of today is to remind us of the effect our words and actions have on others, then it is by way of tshuva that we give that ideal its fullest expression, both in the concession that our words and actions have caused hurt and the hope that our words and actions can bring about healing. Many are living in close quarters, making decisions in deeply imperfect conditions, every deed and misdeed magnified beyond proportion. Others, are separated from family and friends, a distance that has made some stronger, but for others, many others, a source of confusion, misgiving, and distrust. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, between the generations, between colleagues, even between rabbis and their congregants, every other day of the year, we walk the earth with the cheek to tell ourselves that every sour exchange, every relationship gone awry, every tiff and every dispute was due to the fault and failing of another person. Not today. Today we ask not what that person did to us, but what we ourselves did to prompt or perpetuate the cycle of hurt, 
Today, we don that uncomfortable cloak of personal agency. We wear it, we own it, and we do everything in our power to reach beyond our egos and mend those relationships in need of repair. I began by way of a story about my daughter, and I'm gonna end by way of her favorite childhood story, a story that I hope that she and all of her peers, but really all of us, take to heart. It's a story of the small shtetl that received word of a planned visit of the king. In anticipation of the royal visit, the town leaders decided to fill a giant barrel with wine and present it to his royal highness upon his arrival. It was a lovely plan, but where was such a modest town gonna get enough wine to fill such a giant barrel? Each citizen, they decided, would bring one flask filled with wine and pour it into the giant barrel. And this way, the barrel would be filled with wine for the king. The barrel was placed in the center of town with a ladder reaching up to the top. And every day, citizens lined up to pour their flask of wine into the barrel. The day finally arrived for the king's visit. The people were so excited to present this wonderful gift to the king. The king was escorted to the center of town and presented with a royal goblet, which was filled with wine from the giant barrel. But when the king drank, his face fell with disappointment. The citizens asked why he was so unhappy, to which the king responded, it's just plain water. As it turns out, each citizen thought, why should I be the one to pour a flask of wine? I'll pour in water instead. I'm sure each one thought that no one will notice if there's just one flask of water among all that wine. Everyone in the town made the same calculation, and so no one poured in wine, but rather water instead. Everyone assumed that someone else would step up. Today is Yom Kippur. A year of great moments sits before us, and the fate of our country, our world, and the common good hangs in the balance. Will we step up and join in the effort? Will we be watered down versions of our best selves or shall our actions prove worthy of the King of Kings? Will we do everything in our power to mend this world and the relationships we hold dear? The answer to these questions is in our hands. What we do matters. May each one of us and all of us together prove worthy of the ideal of the day. Shana Tova, good young. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.